Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. When I used to wait tables in Lincoln, Illinois, um, and, and Springfield, and Urbana, I refused to work on, on Sundays, not because Sunday was some kind of, not because Sunday was particularly holy. I'd love to say that that was my reason why, that it was the Lord's Day. But the truth of the matter is, I didn't wait tables on Sunday because the tips were terrible. They were the worst. They were, they were the worst customers. The Sunday lunch crowd was consistently the most demanding, the most rude, and tipped the least. And you know who the Sunday lunch crowd was? It's the after church people. Didn't help the image of Christ where I worked. Lincoln, in fact, the one in Lincoln. Not only did I go to Bible college in Lincoln, but at that time, that was the world's largest steak and shake, and, I hate, and so everybody went there. And the tips were terrible. Um, the people were rude. Um, I, I mentioned this to my father at one point, and my dad said, what a, what a different take, he said, as, as he was a preacher. He said, I always remembered going out to people with lunch on Sunday after church and thinking, what a fun crowd we were. Look at all the fun we were having, and who wouldn't want to be a part of our crowd? He said, it's interesting to hear what your take is from the other side of that. He said, I look back on that now with a little bit of of concern about what, what, what our witness was. Unity, is all, which we've been talking about all year, is all well and good. But if people don't see love from us, why would they want to join us? And, and they won't join us or love us if we don't show them love first. Because Christ showed love to us, while we were still sinners, the Bible says, when we didn't know that we needed saving. One way that we can show love, an easy way and tough, is generosity. You get, you get that it's, it's easy to say that. It's hard to put it into practice. Um, but for too many of us, rather than be generous, too often we are the opposite. We are stingy. We're sold out, but what I mean by that is that we've sold out to selfish goals that undermine us and destroy the church. So we're in Nehemiah chapter 4 today. Are we okay on sound or is it a little ringy? I, my problem is that due to, due to this cold I've had for a week, we're okay? We're okay. It's, it's the cold, all right? Which I'm, I'm getting over. I'm getting over. So Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, if even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. 
Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. And so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. When I think I've shared this. When I was in high school, I wore wristwatches until I was in high school. Um, certainly, at one, I went through that calculator. Do you remember those calculator watch phases? I certainly had the calculator watch. My favorite one was I had one that the face pulled off, and it transformed into a little robot. Back in, the trans- back in the Transformers day, that was the coolest watch ever. Oh, I wish I still had that. Just nostalgia. The last one I had it was black, and it had some kind of a red dial that turned. I don't know if it turning it did anything. <laughs> I don't remember that it did, but I just remember that it looked round on the top. It broke at some point. Pretty sure that I used too much bug spray or sunscreen or something on it and melted the face during band camp, I think friend of mine named Josh made the comment. He said, I've watched you for the years that we've gone to school. He said, I've never seen somebody check their watch as much as you do. He said, you look at your watch every two to three minutes. You've got it set to the second with the school. You're standing up before the bell rings. And the teachers go to scold you, but they can't because then the bell rings. He said, you live your life. He said, that piece of plastic on your wrist controls you. He said, you can't go a day without it. So me, being oppositional, defiant that I am, decided to prove him wrong, and I've never, re- re- never worn a watch since then. Um, because in the first day, I figured out he was right. You know, for, for, for a few weeks, I kept looking at my empty wrist and was driven insane that I didn't know what the time was to the exact second. It, it, it drove me crazy. They say that, ne- invent- that necessity is the mother of invention. But invention is the mother of necessity. Now that we've made it, we can't live without it. Um, there, was a, um, there was one of those storms called a derecho that went through southern Illinois a while uh, back when I preached in southern Illinois. In fact, it was of a category they called a super derecho. There aren't very many of those. Um, we at my house at the Parsonage were pretty lucky. We had no power for two days. There were people that had no power for over a month. I mean, it was, it, it, that was a devastating storm. It, it wiped out most of the power lines. Um, we had no phones for three days. That, I will say, was something of a blessing, just my opinion. Um, I had no internet for two weeks. Again, much shorter than a lot of other people. That was the bit that drove me crazy. I remember not having the internet as a kid. I remember not having a computer as a kid. And then we invented computers, and they were clunky, and they took forever to load up. Uh, we had a Commodore 64 with a cassette drive. Do you remember the ca- cassette drives? You put in the tape, and it takes as long to play the tape as it does to load the game. And Temple of Afshi was two cassettes both sides. 
It was a two-hour game to load. Um, these days, I can't life without internet. If there's a glitch, in the, you know, it's Mark. Mark gets too many too many messages from me. The internet at the church is down. I can't do anything. Um, we, we we can't get by without. But but humanity got by without phones and electricity and internet for forever and ever and ever. And now we act like like the world is falling apart if we don't have that. Um, how did we live without cars and microwaves? Uh, and fridges, and cell phones. Uh, And the big point, all of this stuff that we've invented was supposed to make life easier. Raise your hand if your life is less busy than it was 20 years ago. (laughs) We're all so much more busy. We've, We've just filled our lives with so much stuff. We have a culture so obsessed with taking it easy that we've made that hard somehow. We work so hard to take it easy. Um, the world is full of get-rich-quick schemes. Many of them are harder than real jobs. I've known so many people in my life that work so hard, so hard at not working. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of, of back when I was a locksmith in Urbana, the, the story that I loved that there was a guy that had broken into, I don't know, Burger King Hardy's, something like that, through the drive through window, and took the safe out. Now, to be clear, I don't know how three people could lift this, but single-handedly he managed to put this on his back and make it out the door and was lumbering down the street with a safe that was too big for two to three people to lift on his back. And I was amused that when the police saw him, rather than arrest him, they just followed him at two miles an hour until he eventually collapsed under the weight, and then they had no trouble arresting. They said, we don't want to mess with, mess with the guy that can lift that. We'll let him tire himself out first. But, but we laughed about that at work the next day, as we were working on the safe to repair it. We laughed about how hard people work in our society these days to not work. Um, I, it, it, it's an indictment on our culture, I think, um, increasingly, I don't want to say that this is the U.S. way, that sounds so anti-U.S., but increasingly it is modern Western culture. Maybe it's our world culture, and I don't, and I, and I, and I think that we are, I, I think that as a culture we are to blame that we have built this culture. We work so hard at play, at our sports and hobbies, that we end up having to take vacations from our hobbies. Um, our kids are so focused on being the best best sports players, while our math and reading scores, things that matter, are plummeting. Uh, We tell our kids that sports is more important. You know that your odds of getting into, I mean, if you just do the math, and and your your chance, a boy's chance of being a professional sports player is less than his chance of joining the U.S. Congress. (laughs) The, the turnover rate in Congress and, and, and the number of people, the 532, whatever, it, whatever the number is, the House and, and Senate, there are less professional sports players than there are members of, of, of Congress. You have a better chance of joining our government than playing sports. And yet I'll, I, don't, I know so few people whose goal is to, is to grow up and do something like serve our country in Congress, but I know so many young men whose goal is to grow up and play professional sports. Um, we throw our hearts into games and we play and play and hobbies, 
I speak to myself too. I love, I love my hobbies. I like my comic books and my games and my collections. But when it comes to the important things in life, the spiritual things in life, the things that matter for eternity, how are we doing? In the book of Nehemiah, as we said last week, this is 70 years later. The remnant had gone back home. I know people that live out of boxes. I mean, they've they move somewhere. I'm not going to say that I've never done this before a little bit. Um, but you move somewhere and it takes a while to unpack the boxes. And by a while, we don't mean a one or two weeks or months. We might, we might mean a couple of years or more. These were people that were living out of boxes for 70 years. They hadn't rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem. And so their enemies could just come and go into the city whenever they wanted. So Nehemiah encourages them. Chapter 4, verse 6 said they did this with all their heart. They throw their backs into it. As we said last week, at the end of the day, they get it done in two months. What, can, can you imagine procrastinating a task for 70 years that was a two-month task? But we all do it, don't we? Maybe not to that extent. Why did it take 70 years and a cheerleader to get the job done? Why, why do we need revivals and, and, and cheerleaders and our, you know, spiritual revivals and cheerleaders and things in our life to encourage us? New Year's resolutions that are good for maybe a couple of weeks. We start off strong and then, and, and then we get distracted because, because the devil is good at distracting us. He hates the church and he loves it when we hit the wall. We let him distract us and we get things partly done and then we are all a little attention deficit when it comes to things that matter, spiritual things that matter. We, do, we go for what's fun and easy. It's, it's lazy. It's sloth. It's one of the seven deadly sins. We as the church cannot afford to be lazy. We can't afford to sell out to convenience. We are God's mouths and hands and feet. And so this isn't about... Our, school, our, our grade school's math scores and reading scores and people's work ethic. That's not the point of the church, even if I think that there are things wrong. Spiritually, are we lazy? Spiritually, are we, are we just... Are the churches shrinking in the country because nobody cares anymore? And, and we think it's someone else's problem, and our goal is just to make sure that there's just enough energy in the church that it doesn't die while I'm in the church. We have to do the work of the Lord while we still have time. I don't know that I like the phrase, you can rest later when you're dead. I don't think I like that sentiment. But there's some truth to the fact that paradise and rest await us. But there is a task that needs to be done now. There are people that don't know Christ and they're dying. And, and that has eternal significance. So while there is still time, let us share the gospel. Let, let's also keep reading. Verse 11. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. 
When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. And then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. And so we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, Have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night, so they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. We each had his weapon even when he went for water. Oswald Chambers said, When you fear God, you fear nothing else. When you don't fear God, you fear everything else. I, uh, my, 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 uh, the man I consider my spiritual mentor, uh, uh, Terry Edson was his name. That's what he, he said, faith and fear, they are opposites of each other. He taught me that and that has stuck with me because it is true. When we fear God, everything else is fine. When we don't fear God, nothing else is fine. The Bible is filled with stories of bravery and courage. Men and women who feared the Lord. Accounts of lions and armies and pits and wilderness and beatings and stonings and the cross. None of us would be here today were it not for so many who feared the Lord. This book that we hold in our hands and read in English in different translations. John Wycliffe was persecuted. William Tyndale was strangled and burnt at the stake for translating the Bible into English. And we have it and we take it for granted. So many men and women gave of themselves to the Lord, holding nothing back, not even their safety. We are blessed to live in the time and place that we do today where we can gather together to worship freely. It is an incredible blessing that I, I suspect we take for granted. Historically, that has not always been the case for religions and for Christianity in particular. There are so many places in the world where it is illegal to talk about Jesus. Um, missionary countries and missionaries I know that serve in those countries. I'm grateful that that's not the case here. It, it could happen. I don't want to sound doom and gloomy, alarmist, but the history of our world is a history of, persecu- uh, of the powerful, the majority persecuting the minority. There was a time when this country was majority Christian. It is not the case. And so there are two strategies to this as our culture continues to shift. There are churches that try to keep pace with culture. And if they leave historic biblical Christianity behind, that's okay. To them, it's an outdated book and needs to be modernized. The other group of us are those who feel that this book is timeless and true, that Christianity as a faith has outlasted all nations. It is the kingdom that will persist until the end of the world when all other countries won't. And that our goal is to stay true to this book and to the faith regardless of whether or not those around us like it, like us, persecute us, 
Our safety is not important. Our faithfulness to God is. I think that there may come a day that Christianity won't be popular around here. I don't think that will happen in my lifetime. I think that, that I think that there are a lot of steps to go through to get there. I don't think the U. Sorry, I don't think the. I, no country has ever lasted forever. I don't think the U.S. will last forever. Um, the church will outlast. The church has always outlasted every country. I think the church will outlast the U.S. I am reminded, however, I think back to times when the church did play the culture game. How many Christians stayed silent in Germany? while so many people, Jews and others, were being thrown into concentration camps. How many Christians said, not my problem, not, not my concern? Because I look to the Bible and see the example of the Good Samaritan. I mean, literally, as we read through Nehemiah, we're talking about why the Samaritans were hated. The Samaritans were the ones saying, we will kill the Jews if they rebuild their wall. You jump forward 500 years and you get to the time of Jesus and his parable makes a little bit more sense why the Jews hated the Samaritans and that parable becomes so much more powerful when we read about the Samaritan taking care of this Jewish man who gets beat up and left for dead on the road when his own people ignore him. We ask, who are we supposed to relate to? Who are we supposed to be like? And we're obviously supposed to be like the Samaritan, this descendant of these hated people who wanted to see Israel not rebuild, reform. All around us are people in need that need help. Some of it's financial. I get that. I get that there's the balancing act between how do we help people financially and not hurt them financially by encouraging them to keep asking for aid and not getting jobs. And again, that, that's not really my concern for today's sermon. Um, that, that's a very complex social issue on where do we help, where do we hurt. Today, can we just focus on the spiritual? All around us are peop- people who are in danger of going to hell because they haven't heard about Jesus. And we're keeping our mouth shut in a country where it's free to talk about Jesus. And we're not sharing the gospel. We, we're afraid to be heard because we may get made fun of may get mocked, persecuted, but again, I don't know that we know what persecution is in the U.S. Jesus says that unless one denies himself and takes up his cross daily, he can't follow him. The church of the U.S. of the 21st century largely lives in fear of the culture around us. We're worried that they will persecute us, but the church is going to win this one. Um, The church will outlast. Our only fear must be fear of the Lord. And when we fear the Lord, we will fear nothing else. Nehemiah chapter 5. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous in in order for us to eat and stay alive. We must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. And still others were saying, we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. 
And when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials, and I told them, you're exacting usury from your own countrymen. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we've bought back our Jewish brothers who were sold to the Gentiles. And now you are selling your brothers only for them to be sold back to us? They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. And so I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let the exacting of usury stop. Give back, usury is interest, guys, by and large. Give back to them immediately their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves and houses, and also the usury you are charging them, the hundredth part of the money, the grain, the new wine and oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way, may God shake out of his house and possessions every man who does not keep this promise. So may such a man be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. We are one of the richest countries in the world, right? America has, has wealth that, that historically our, our world has not seen. Years ago, when China was looking at why their economy was not as good as others, and they sent, uh, they sent agents to the U.S. to report on why U.S. business was just always more successful than Chinese business at the time, um, the response came back that China, the U.S. was, at the time, a Christian country, Christian businessmen believe that they will answer to God, uh, to a higher authority. Therefore, he will see if they cheat people, even if they never get caught. Um, and, and that this was one, this was what China said, this was one of the reasons for U.S. exceptionalism was people feel that they owe integrity to God. Now, I'm not sure that that's the case anymore entirely. Uh, Christianity's on the decline in the U.S., and our U.S. economy is not as good as it has been. Sometimes people say correlation does not equal causation. Uh, but immoral lending and stock scams and everything else, I think if a Christian view of stewardship was used, we, wouldn't, we would see a better economy. I absolutely believe that 100%. You know, it's easy, and again, I don't want to get into, that. that, that is not a spiritual issue. We, we segue into this, because um, it's easy to say, I told you so from the pulpit when you're not an economist. The people of God in Nehemiah were taking advantage of the people of God. God's people were taking advantage of God's people. Um, so far as they were literally selling each other as slaves, which is abhorrent. But how are we as Christians doing when we deal with other people today? How often do we take advantage of our brothers and sisters? How often is money too much of an issue or convenience? As Christians, we know that everything belongs to God. But as Americans, man, we can get really money-focused. A successful church for many people, for too many people, is based more on the budget than the numbers. And... And we can't do that and, and, and keep our focus on what God wants to keep focused on. Board meet, boardroom meetings at churches should be about saving souls and not 
the final dollar amount and ending the year in the black. Now, hear me. Money is a, is a tool. And, and laid at God's feet, I think that money can be used for great good. I, I do believe that. Um, I don't believe that everybody should go out and get rid of their money. Um, but too many churches have become known for being after people's money, and that is an embarrassing reputation to have. The world is having trouble seeing a difference between Jim Baker and Bernie Madoff, and I get it. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You, can, you cannot serve both God and money. So Christians, if you have money, it's a responsibility that God has given you to use it in a godly manner. And I do believe that. I don't, some people are, are cursed with that responsibility. Some people live in paycheck to paycheck, and that's not your stress. <laughs> Ultimately, we can sell out to so many things, but we, of course, know that we are to be sold out to God. At the end of the day, if we're going to be sold out, let us be sold out to God. Um, who do you give your life to? What do you give your life to? It's easy to say that Jesus is Lord. Those are simple words, but it's harder to show it. How important is God following him to you? How do you know that it's important to you? How important is his church, the bride of Christ, to you? Um, I'm always amazed that people say they love God, but they don't love his church. If this book is true, the church is the bride that he died to redeem. The church will be saved. I don't think that there's room to blow off the church and say, but, but I follow God. Because the plan of God is that his followers will be Christians who join his church. That's his only, that's his only plan in the New Testament. Um, Jesus died for the church. He redeems her. He sanctifies her. He's perfecting her. She's not perfect. That's why she needs perfecting. But he loves her and he sees in her the potential. She is the plan of God for bringing salvation to man and perfection to his saints. And I just don't think that there's room to say that we love God, but we hate his bride. I don't, I don't think that God is honored in that. I, uh, again, I, I, I've shared this before. I had that friend of mine back in Illinois that we were walking one day, and I said, do you consider yourself a Christian? He said, oh, that's a good question. And I said, oh, the next one's going to be better. <laughs> do you think God thinks you're a Christian? Because it doesn't matter what you think. People live in self-denial and lies all the time. What does God think? Does God think that I am a Christian? Our hymn of decision today is hymn number 328, I believe. The, I like my studies of ancient history. I've, I've done my studies of ancient religions. I find a lot of fascinating things in there. I like Egypt. I like ancient Egypt. I studied Coptic. I've, I... I I've enjoyed Egyptian studies of that of that ancient culture with its pyramids and deserts and its beautiful artwork. I, I, for as long as I can remember, I've enjoyed that. Um, part of their mythology is that at death, every Egyptian soul, their heart was weighed against a feather of truth. And if the heart was heavier than the feather, they got swallowed by a crocodile. Um, I... There's a beautiful image. In it. Not, that, that there's something beautiful in that imagery that your heart, who, do, who has your heart? Because if that heart, if your heart isn't good, if it's not right with God, then a terrible fate awaits us. Who is top priority in your life? If we say Jesus is Lord, he is our highest priority. Unless he is our Lord, we are lost. As always, 
if you have not made Jesus Lord of your life, if you have doubts on whether or not that applies, yeah, I would love to talk with you about that, what that looks like, what it means to make Jesus Lord of your life. Um, I, I think head knowledge alone isn't enough. We talk about the heart. Saying that you're a Christian and that's it is just words. I would love to talk with you about what deeper than your head, into your heart, what that looks like. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.